Welcome to Love Your Heart, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute. These podcasts will help you learn more about your heart, thoracic, and vascular systems, ways to stay healthy, and information about diseases and treatment options. Enjoy. Good afternoon. I'm uh, Osama Wazni. I'm the section head of um, electrophysiology at the Cleveland Clinic, and with me is uh, Dr. Walid Saliba, who is the director of the AFib Center and also of the EP um, procedural labs. Uh, we just finished a web chat, a very interesting web chat. Thank you for joining us. Uh, where we answered a lot of questions regarding atrial fibrillation. We'd just like uh, to uh, highlight uh, some key points that uh, were asked in the web chat. I'd just like to point out and summarize that uh, atrial fibrillation uh, is very common. Uh, the reasons for treatment are three important uh, aspects of treatment or management. The first one is prevention of stroke, and that depends on the CHADS VAST score. Uh, the second one is rate control uh, to prevent uh, the development of heart failure. And the third one is symptom relief. Treatment with antiarrhythmic drugs um, is indicated to provide symptom relief. And if those do not work, then an ablation uh, can be considered uh, so that we alleviate those symptoms. Now, every once in a while, we are faced with different uh, scenarios. And this was actually borne out in the web chat today. So I'm going to... Uh, you know, direct this question to Dr. Saliba. A patient who has atrial fibrillation but uh, describes no symptoms, what is the current approach uh, for that kind of patient? So this is a very interesting question and uh, we've had a fair amount of questions to that effect that I have atrial fibrillation but I feel okay. What do I need to do? Uh, it is a difficult question for the physician and for the patient. But most importantly, what we, what we tell our patients is that, are you sure you're not having any symptoms? It is possible that you've got accustomed to atrial fibrillation and this is the way you feel. And it is not actually a very unreasonable idea to try to at least get yourself back into normal rhythm. And we have easy ways to put you back into normal rhythm. Yeah. And see, and we have patients who actually, after we put them back in normal rhythm, they feel wonderful. They say, wow, I didn't know that I would feel that much better. And in those patients, we are aggressive at actually trying to restore normal rhythm with whatever means we have. So this is a patient now that we've established that even though they thought they did not have too much symptoms, now they are symptomatic and therefore it's better to maintain sinus rhythm in that patient. But suppose, again, you have a patient that after some meaningful time in normal rhythm, they say, well, you know, there wasn't much of a difference between normal rhythm and atrial fibrillation. So this is where things are a little bit uh, more difficult. Decisions are a little bit more difficult to make in this situation. But we have certain things that will guide us and will actually, through a discussion with the patient, we can formulate a strategy of treatment. There's a big difference if somebody is 80 years of age and has atrial fibrillation and is asymptomatic versus somebody who is 40 years of age and is uh, believed to be asymptomatic. We do not know what 30 or 20 or 30 years of atrial fibrillation is going to do to that patient who is 40 years of age and, and whether it's better to for that patient to be in normal rhythm or to stay in atrial fibrillation. We do not know what is the effect on the development of heart failure. We do not know what is the effect on mortality. We do, we do not know what is the effect on stroke prevention in that patient. However, we know that at least from patients who have some left ventricular dysfunction, even though they are asymptomatic, those patients are much better off being in normal rhythm because there is some signals that those patients have a better survival and actually do better on the long term as opposed to if they stay in atrial fibrillation. But 
So age plays a factor, the heart function plays a factor, patient's willingness and aggressiveness of the therapy plays a factor. And it's not just one or the other thing. It's more of a, a team approach with the patient playing a major part actually in this decision making going so, forward. So I think the key message here is that uh, even if we decide that somebody is going to stay in AFib because they do not have symptoms, the key uh, important thing to continue to do is surveillance and to check left ventricular function. And that can easily be done with an echo or an MRI. And we look for two things. Uh, that is the size of the left ventricle and also the ejection fraction of the, of the left ventricle. And if we feel that in a younger patient, these are becoming, uh, are declining or getting worse, then maintenance of sinus rhythm becomes very important. I agree with that. The only potential problem with this is that if we wait too long and the patient has been in atrial fibrillation for so many years before these things start to develop, then with the patients having had atrial fibrillation for such a long time, it becomes harder for us to put him and keep him in normal rhythm. And that is something that always needs to be discussed up front at the time of decision making. I think this is uh, still a work in progress. Uh, we still have a lot to learn. And I think, uh, you know, very important key studies are being done right now to answer these questions. That is uh, correct. For now, uh, a patient, an elderly patient who has asymptomatic atrial fibrillation, the most important two aspects are prevention of stroke and rate control. For mm -hmm. a younger patient, this is a more difficult decision, and it has to be individualized based on patient's preferences and, and values. Um, I perfectly agree, and uh, I also want to stress what Dr. Wozni said, that the, tr the treatment of atrial fibrillation is stroke prevention, rate control, and also restoration of normal rhythm to, uh, to improve symptoms. Something also that we always should never forget is risk factor modifications. Uh, the same risk factors that predispose for coronary disease and other heart disease, be it diet, exercise, cardiovascular fitness, these things, actually, if we take care of ourselves, we can actually reduce the potential burden of atrial fibrillation going forward. And this is something that has not been too much stressed over the past few years, but now is gaining a lot of traction. And we're going to hear much more about that. And we have certain studies at the Cleveland Clinic looking specifically at modifications of risk factors to reduce the amount of atrial fibrillation going forward. Okay. Well, thank you very much for participating in the web chat, and we look forward to having you um, as our guests in future web chats or video chats uh, with uh, our team. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.